You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. All right. All right. <laughs> hey, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, friends. Hey, today we've got Kyle Strobel on the podcast. Let me He's tell you. talk about contemplation. Let and me tell Matt, you a few This things. sounds dangerous. I know. If I'm a Christian, why would I want to contemplate? You probably don't. Sounds you might want to just just listen to a different podcast. Okay. Download well, If you want to be safe, to... uh, don't download this podcast mm. or a Beth Moore podcast. Okay. Um, just... Be safe. No, be sa- it, right. this, is, this is... <laughs> what are we talking about? Why, contemplation why we... is... Uh, is a part of the Christian history uh, tradition of contemplative practices, but it's also biblical. And so Kyle, who works for the Spiritual Formation Institute mm. out at Talbot Seminary, has done a great job of mining church history and the biblical witness to give us a robust uh, architecture in which to practice not just contemplation, but uh-huh. Christian contemplation. Yeah, that's good. Uh, and it's a recovery, I think, of, of a way of being in the world mm-hmm. that a lot of modern um, Christians have or just, just don't have any experience with. Yeah. You've sort of jettisoned it or assigned it to something uh, that's dangerous or a slippery slope or... Yeah. Well, know, it's like uh, the Catholic like a, monastics do that or the uh, yeah. New Age meditators do that. Yeah. And I think... It's kind of like if you got the personality for it, that might be fun for you, but... Right. But is it like normative? Should this be... So yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah I wasn't part of this interview, so I'm eager to listen to it. And Kyle, uh, Kyle is uh, really, really well-read, mm. and uh, he gives us m- many, many, many biblical uh, illusions, and foot, he, foots, no, he footnotes his actual words, like he's footnoting the, like live? the Bible. Like wow. live, you know? Yeah, that's, that's kind of impressive. Uh, and um, better than endnotes, by the way. Endnotes drive me nuts. <laughs> yeah, but me he's too. footnoting the things he's saying with scriptures. Anyway, you're, you'll love it. That's it's great. great. This is what we do with Gravity Leadership Academy. We help people develop an everyday contemplative yes. spirituality. Yes. And what he's naming and discussing is part and parcel of that. So... Yeah, and I, I uh, in these crazy times, I might just suggest uh, to us that uh, developing a habit of contemplation might might not be like an optional add-on to your spirituality, but it might become necessary for all of us. Amen. To learn how to do this, so amen. Let's get to it. Get ready.
Kyle Strobel, welcome to the podcast. Hey, man. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. Is it is it Dr. Kyle Strobel? It is technically, I suppose. Okay. Well, can <laughs> oh, we... Oh, man. We, the good doctor's here with us. <laughs> yeah. Kyle teaches at the Talbot School of Theology with the Spiritual Formation Institute. He's written a number of books, The Way of the Dragon, The Way of the Lamb. It's one of my favorites. And also a new book on contemplation, embracing contemplation, uh, reclaiming Christian... What? Reclaiming a Christian spiritual practice. So, Kyle, did I leave anything out? Anything we need to know about you other than all those curriculum vitae details? <laughs> well, I, you know, the most important thing probably, you know, I'm, I'm a father of two and um, I'm, a, I'm on the preaching team in my church. And so life is full right now yeah, with dude. the little ones. And <laughs> How old are your kids? Nine and six. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. I have an 11 and an 8-year-old, so I feel Mm. like it's in the same slot, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. They they can feed themselves and and wipe their own behinds and (laughs) dress themselves. It's so good. Um, Well, hey, man, give us... uh, You you work for the Spiritual Formation Institute, Mm -hmm. and I I remember discovering that as a pastor about... Was it almost 10 years ago now? Mm. And uh, the person that you co-edited this book with, John Coe, who teaches there with you as well, he wrote a article for um, some journal. I think it's a journal that the Spiritual Formation Institute puts out. Um, yeah, the Journal of Spiritual Formation and Soul Care. Yeah, that one. He wrote an article called the, uh, Resisting the Temptation to Moral Formation. Yeah. That article changed my life. Mm-hmm. That article mm-hmm. named so many things that mm-hmm. I intuited were wrong with my Christian formation and discipleship, but, I, but he just named it and like set me on a journey. So anyway... I have such a, I have such a, uh, you know, Google that article and look it up, but I have such a profound respect and gratitude for the Spiritual Formation Institute. Can you just tell us what it is and why you chose to work there? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good question. So I actually came across, I was a Talbot student when the Institute started. And so um, I was doing other things, although I, I kind of came to realize all of my questions were hovering around these questions. Hmm. Um, academically, personally, kind of existentially. And, and so um, the Institute basically started with um, John Coe, who you mentioned, yeah. and, and, and several others, kind of realizing, you know, there's not, there's not a place where you can go and integrate all of the various components of Christian theology towards formation. And there's not a place that you can go that is explicitly oriented to your formation. And so, we have, for instance, you could do an MDiv here. We're starting a, a Doctor of Ministry degree, and we have two different MA degrees you can do. And basically, the idea is, yes, you'll come and learn about spiritual formation, um, but the bigger issue is you're actually going to come and be formed. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that you're going to have to be confronted by God, that you're going to have to wrestle through yourself and um, all the ways you already have been formed. And and so it's it's a fascinating place. I mean, with John Cohen, what he does, we have a really high level of kind of theoretical content, but then it's highly experiential. Yeah. And um, we have a, a practicum sequence for spiritual direction. And um, we it's an interesting place because we have two psychologists, two philosophers, um, and I'm a theologian as our executive team. And we just hired um, with a grant, we got another psychologist, and another theologian. And so- wow. um, and it's close to about half and half male, female. And so, I mean, the integration that, that gets brought in is so unique. So it's, it's an, it's an absolute blast. I mean, it, it's hard to teach because, 
you're teaching classes. They just assume you have like 50 years of experience teaching. Yeah. Like, you know, just integrate all this together, like the history of spirituality and, you know, psychology and theology, you know, just do that. You know? No problem. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Good. No, no. But it's, it keeps me, I mean, it's fast. I mean, it keeps me busy, but yeah. it keeps me um, engaged because it is so important. The questions are fascinating. And, um, and some of my own background, you know, I'm a Jonathan Edwards scholar kind of by training. And when I look at what we do, this is just what we always did. This is what Edwards was doing in the revivals, hmm. right? This is what the Puritans in particular are known for spiritual theology. Yes, right. The Enlightenment just eradicated it. And when we went to the model of seminary we have, where you divvy up all the tasks of a theologian into different, you know, New Testament, Old Testament, biblical theology, systematic, you know, all these things that we just kind of made up. Yeah. Then, unfortunately, spiritual formation had no place to go. Or it was just assumed. So if, you're, if your systematic theology is uh, on point, then your character yeah. will be on point. Well, mm-hmm. I think what was, that's probably the case now. I, I think what happened originally, though, was mm-hmm. that it was assumed in the sense that, oh, that, of course, they're getting that in the church. Oh, yeah. So yeah. the assumption was they're, they're not only getting in the church, but if they're going to be a pastor, they're being mentored. They're be, I mean, even in Edwards' day, the assumption was right after seminary, which you, there wasn't such a thing as seminary yet, but you would graduate and probably move into a home of a pastor you revered who would mentor you. And that, that means soul care for years. Yeah. Yeah. And so when the modern seminary developed it, it, it kind of assumed a lot of that and we just lost it all. Fascinating. Mm. You know, as I hear you describe the psychology, philosophy, theology, I think uh, that's sort of the unwritten implicit job description of most, most pastors. Like we, we've got to integrate all this stuff and That's keep right. current on events and know, mm. know where the culture's going and be able to talk about uh, continental philosophy. I mean, we have to know all this stuff, but most mm. of us aren't trained for it. So that's one of the reasons I'm really excited to have you on because I feel like the work you're doing is fantastic and important. And this new, this new book on contemplation, um, can you, why write a book for evangelicals <laughs> on something that sounds so scary, mm. you know, so it's like, so like study memorization, right? These are these are the spiritual disciplines that we grew up with. Yeah, but Christian contemplation is kind of like that's for ancient people or maybe you know more <laughs> Catholic traditions. But why, why write a book for evangelicals on this? Well, for us, you know, it started actually as a kind of an academic conversation. So a group of us got together who work in this area academically, and we just we gave papers about about contemplation because we we really wanted to wrestle through what, for instance, how does contemplation relate to prayer? It becomes a very difficult and very important question that no one talks about. <laughs> it's just hmm. you can't find it anywhere, and so that became a problem where we like, we just want to clarify like what are we actually talking about. When, like, when someone says contemplative prayer, like, where did that come from? The tradition doesn't talk about it, for instance. Like, where, wh- what's going on about that? Um, but then one of the things we realize is when we're attacked from our right, so our kind of fundamentalist right, yeah. um, and even within even the kind of writer-leaning evangelicalism, and when we're attacked, it's almost always about contemplation, hmm. but it never comes from knowledge. It, it never comes from something we say. It's always just these presuppositions of, oh, contemplation equals Eastern equals. And, mm. and so we just really wanted to start a conversation and say, if you're going to, you know, in a sense, if you're going to critique us, critique us faithfully and, and thoughtfully and read what we say. And if, if we're going to talk about this, 
let's talk about it like we always have as Protestants. Hmm. Um, you will not find a single great theologian in the Protestant tradition who doesn't not only believe in contemplation, but who, who doesn't believe it's, it's one of the, if not the most fundamental Christian practice. Wow. Whether you're talking about Calvin, whether you're talking about someone like Edwards or John Owen, I mean, the Puritans were famous for contemplation. Yeah. And so we want to, in a sense, rewrite a little bit of that narrative and say, no, this is just ignorance. We need to actually thoughtfully engage. And there is an Eastern kind of contemplation, sure, but we don't give up prayer because there's an Eastern kind of prayer either, right? I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, some of the arguments, the way they go are just nuts. And so yeah. we want to say, let, let's, let's, let's do what we do. Let, let's be faithful to scripture. Yeah. Let's, let's think about, well, what is a biblical notion of contemplation? Um, in my mind, you can't possibly read scripture faithfully and not leave it with, without this sense of contemplation. I mean, it's yeah. just, you'd have to be so blinded by your own presuppositions to miss it. And so we wanted to kind of give that account. And then one of the other things we wanted to do that was a little more implicit, I suppose, is we wanted, um, well, explicitly, we wanted to give a Protestant and a kind of evangelical account. But one of the key differences between, say, like an evangelical account and at least most historic Catholic accounts is that we really don't like the sense that contemplation becomes an elite spiritual practice. It's hmm. good. Where it becomes this thing for these select few people that we hole up somewhere and, and we can kind of outsource our contemplation to them. Um, yeah. We wanted to recover that this is a baseline spiritual practice. Hmm. Yeah, or or contemplation becomes only what we do in crisis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hmm. totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then we're using this word like we all know what it means, but you just said a lot of us don't know what it means, and we we yeah, yeah. we act out of our presuppositions. So can you define what is Christian, what is Christian contemplation, and what mm -hmm. makes Christian contemplation distinct from simply contemplation? Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. There's a couple distinctions that are, that, are, that the tradition has used that I find helpful. So one of which would be natural contemplation versus supernatural contemplation. And so as, as Edwards, and this is, you know, most of the, if, if not all the Protestant tradition would, would assume everyone contemplates, like that's just what it means to be human. Um, you mm -hmm. contemplate fantasy football, you contemplate your next meal, right? Like we, we set our minds and hearts on an object of our attention and desire yeah. so that we can become one with it in a sense. Now that's going to be different than supernatural contemplation. And that's going to raise a lot of questions. Like, can I truly set my mind on God? Like, could an unbeliever do that? What is unique? So that, that's a lot of the questions we try to wrestle with come out, come out there. Yeah. The, the other side of it though, if we keep in mind natural and supernatural contemplation, you know, for the Christian. So now we're talking about the supernatural contemplation and, um, Contemplation is simply understood. We can even grab a couple key verses here. So I think of Psalm 27. Um, you know, as Andrew Louth argues, a, th a historical theologian, if you take the word con, which means with, and templum, which means temple, contemplation in its Christian form is being with God in his temple to gaze upon the beauty of his holiness. And that just is Psalm 27. And so I need to somehow set my mind and heart. And again, I, I'm going to be very careful not to kind of um, remove those from one another. Um, those, those are united in, in a kind of proper Christian, proper kind of human functioning. I'm going to kind of open my heart and mind to be with God by setting my mind on things above, as Paul says in Colossians 3. So I can gaze upon the beauty of holiness. 
And, and if you think about, um, I mean, one of the interesting features that, again, we've lost, and I've actually thought about writing a book on the beatific vision as well, because another area that every Christian theologian has said is fundamental that we just forgot about is the beatific vision. Can you say what that is just for the listeners? Yeah. Yeah. So the beatific vision is the Christian belief. And I should say, we talk about it more than anyone else, more than Catholics, more than Eastern Orthodox. It was Protestants that made a big deal out of this because it's so obviously biblical is that in eternity, we will see God face to face. And so, I mean, one of the classic passages is like first John three, two, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. Or 1 Corinthians 13, 12 becomes a really key one because you get the juxtaposition. So now we see through a mirror dimly. So we have sight now, but it's the sight by faith. And so it's not physical sight. It's a kind of, it's again, through a mirror dimly. Then in eternity, we will see face to face. And so when you think about the idea of seeing God face to face, that becomes one of the most obvious themes of scripture from beginning to end. Moses saw God but yet no one's seen God. And so there's some interesting kind of things we have to think about there. Um, when you read at the end of Exodus into Leviticus, seeing God becomes a major theme. Jesus actually explains how no one has seen God. And then in John 6 gives us kind of random aside, well, except for me. <laughs> then he kind of moves on. Humble brag. And, and, yeah, that's right. And so to be, <laughs> to be human in a sense is to long for the sight of God. Yes. And it's called beatific mm. because it is the sight that, that beatifies the sight that kind of fulfills our deepest longings and desires. Yeah. So if you think of a passage like second Corinthians three into second Corinthians four, um, we have the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Like that, that's what it means to, to see by faith. Actually what it means to read your, the scriptures. You're not simply reading about God that in the word, in your heart, which has been illumined by God, we're told in, in, in chapter four, verse six, we are supposed to set our hearts on the face of Christ. Unlike Moses who veiled his face, we with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. And that leads Paul in second Corinthians four eighteen to proclaim something very interesting that we are to attend not to the things that are seen because those are temporal, hmm. but to the things that are unseen right. because they are eternal. And, and that's what contemplation is. It's setting your mind and heart on the unseen reality precisely so you could be faithful to live in this reality now. Yeah. Kyle, that's great. I, what I hear yeah, you saying is like, really good. I hear you saying two things. First of all, it, um, what it means to contemplate is what it means to be human. We can't mm. not do it. That's right. And two, it's impossible to um, take scripture seriously and obey scripture without contemplation. So far from some sort of slippery slope into oh. an Eastern uh, meditative new agey thing, uh, this is constitutive of what it means to be formed and shaped by Jesus. That's right. Yeah. I, I just don't know if, if anyone is reading Col- Colossians 3, they have a view of contemplation. Now, maybe we just don't like the word. Yeah. And, and that's a debate that can be had, I suppose. But usually that's not the issue. Usually they're trying to shift the ground. Oh, to be honest, a lot of I think a lot of what ends up happening, particularly in evangelicalism, is instead of seeing word the word as we used to as a means of grace, um, as a sign to a thing signified, as Augustine would say, and therefore it's not a final word. It's something that points beyond itself to the reality, namely God, which would to read the word faithfully means to have my mind attending to God. 
they've tried to reduce reading the word down into a kind of rationalistic frame where now faithfulness is just being right about things and interpreting scripture correctly. Mm. And that's just unfaithful. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. I wonder too, because a lot of pastors are listening and they're navigating perhaps, there's a renewed interest culturally in the life of the mind. And um, so, so for instance, one of the phrases we hear outside the church is mindful or mindfulness. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. And and I think that pastors, uh, some I've talked to, they're, people are like really excited about it, or some are kind of really scared of it in terms <laughs> totally, of, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Can you just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. can you maybe help us navigate what's, how do you distinguish between mindfulness and contemplation? How are they related? Um, and is mindfulness yeah. a slippery slope? <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm sure you know. You know, the, the problem in the flesh is anything can be a slippery slope. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's just we're just that good at our sin. Yeah. Um, you know, as Kelvin said, the human heart is a factory of idols, which is one of my favorite images. Mm-hmm. I just get this cartoonish image of a little factory just yeah, kicking like out idols all over yeah. everything. <laughs> um, you know, with mindfulness, I, I think one of the key distinctions I would make is mindfulness is is a practice developed. Um, mostly the way we know it by psychologists thinking about um, Eastern practices and then kind of mapping how it helps affect the brain. There's some of it that's just obvious, right? Like, I mean, there's some of it that's just going to do exactly what Paul said. Like, think of these things. What is good? What is true? Right. Okay. Fair enough. Set your mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Set your mind on these things. Well, that, that, that just at the base level is what mindfulness could be. Now, maybe it's not that, right? Maybe they are getting kind of, you know, things are sneaking in the back door there. I think the key difference between contemplation and how mindfulness is normally understood is that Christians, because of the triune God that we believe in, we are always setting our mind on, on, in a personal sort of way and in a relational sort of way. We are coming to discover not merely an object, not merely an idea, not merely a kind of reality. We're we're coming to ascend or to draw near, as the author of Hebrews wants to say, to the throne of grace. And we're drawing near to Father in his Son and by his Spirit. And therefore, we are now caught up in God's life and internal to God's love. And it's that reality that we must set our mind on. And therefore, we're not simply kind of choosing things that are going to mirror back realities that kind of calm us down or orient us better. We're, we're actually called before someone who has a will other than my own. Yeah. Who I have to come to know and stand before and therefore navigate his presence. And, you know, if it, you know, for my money, if I'm going to define spiritual formation, I, this is what I tell my students. If you, you want to know what spiritual formation is at bottom, whether you believe this or not, this is what you're doing. It's, it's learning how to navigate the presence of God. Yeah. 
And, and that's the difficulty of it because our fallen hearts and our flesh don't want the presence of God. No, this is why we turn to things like moralism. This is why like Adam and Eve, we turn to things like hiding and covering. Like, yeah. This is why Adam and Eve don't say, thank the Lord he's here. He'll know what to do. They like, run, hide. You know, like, it's, the presence of God now is very disconcerting. This is why in 1 John 3, 19 and 20, we're told that when we are before him, so we're in his presence, and your heart condemns you. It's like, wait, why is my heart condemning me in God's mm-hmm. presence? And John sends you back on God because God is greater than your heart and he knows everything. Like mm-hmm. there's... There's a Godward movement, but the Godward movement is is disorienting to the fallen soul. And yeah. so contemplation is coming to kind of embrace and grapple with that in reality. It's not the rationalistic, let's just think about these things and because they're interesting concepts. There's a personal reality I'm standing before, and it's therefore oriented by love. And so I need to not only attend with mind, but also heart. And, yeah. and that's that's a difficult thing, to be honest. Like I don't you can you can trace contemplation in the tradition by looking at mind and heart distinctions and kind of thinking like who cares about what so like if you take like aquinas is going to lean lean more intellectualist so it's going to be the scent of the mind bonaventure is going to have an integrated sense of 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 understanding and will and they and aquinas wants that as well but bonaventure is going to kind of lean a little heavier with the will or you take a text like the cloud of unknowing and it's going to say, look, your mind's going to get in the way, give it something to do, have it shove stuff in the cloud of forgetting <laughs> so that you can ascend by love because you, you, you can't ascend by intellect. Mm-hmm. And so there's this tendency, I think, to kind of pit the mind and heart against each other. And I, I just think that's wrongheaded. Um, I, I get why they think that. But I, I think the Bible gives us a much more integrated anthropology. Mm-hmm. And we we ascend as we are kind of in union and communion with Christ by the Spirit to the Father in our communion with Christ. Again, to use a very classic Puritan image. And so that is this interrelational dynamic that requires all of me to be present. Um, and, and I worry when we start divvying out what parts of me can't make it. And, you know, I, I, sure. I, yeah, it's good. whether that's body, which is a typical, you know, or heart, mind or something like along those lines. Yeah. And yeah. so when I think of mindfulness, I, 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 w- I actually worry that it's probably not saying enough and it's probably not oriented by a distinctively personal reality. Yeah. So mindfulness could become a technique to deal with anxiety it's or self-help, right? It's just, yeah. it's, it becomes self-help. And, and so what we're doing is we're not unveiling ourselves in the presence of God and allowing him to wrestle with ourself together with him. Yeah. What we're That's doing right. is we're trying to come up with tips and tactics and techniques to become a better me. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And I, I want to—I just want to like self, like self-disclose a bit here. I, I've practiced some mindfulness techniques, mm-hmm. but I think what I've done, Kyle, just because I've—I'm a Christian—is I've—I oh. as I've just intuited, oh yeah, this is opening me up to the triune life, mm-hmm. rather than this is something for my brain to do while my body oh. and heart do something else, and has no relational dynamic involved. I think I just sort of import that into mindfulness. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would assume most would. I mean, if you're coming in from a Christian framework, that's probably what you're, you're probably just not going to kind of, you know, sit there and try to empty your mind. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> you're probably going to be doing something along those lines. And, and you know, there's, I think it, it, there's a sense where particularly today where we are so um, combated visually 
yeah. the mindfulness can have a helpful way of even just embracing kind of solitude and silence a bit and doing what, you know, the Puritans used to practice something called soliloquy, which is built on the psalmists, right? So if you think of Psalm like 62, oh, my heart that is within me or my soul that is within, like, why is the psalmist talking to themselves in God's presence? And like, what's actually going on there? And, you know, that, that move, it strikes me that there's something going on there that could be similar to what's going on in, in mindfulness where now suddenly like I'm praying to God, mm-hmm. I'm experiencing something of myself. Now I'm turning to myself, but I'm not just self-talking. It's not like I'm going to fix myself right. and then I'm going to come back in prayer. Right. So I'm actually doing this with God in his presence. And I think if, if that is, if mindfulness is couched in that frame, in the presence of God, now we're just talking about something that looks identical to Christian contemplation. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're just synonyms at this point. So for for most of us, I mean, Ben and I kind of uh, were discipled into sort of the predominant evangelical spirituality that that is in North America, which is which is very sort of, I mean, in, in its weaker forms is kind of rationalistic um, information, listen to sermons, uh, study your Bible, those kinds of things. Yeah. How quiet would, time. Qui- you know, get, your, your, quiet get time, your quiet guys. time on. Get your quiet time in there. You listen to K-Love, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so there's, <laughs> you know, and all that's great, right? But what we're uh, talking about here is this uh, really an undiscovered country for a lot of people, Kyle. Mm. So could you tell us maybe... So let's say somebody's listening and they're thinking, I want to begin to experiment or explore Christian contemplation. Like, what would yeah. they do? How would they start? How do they get into it? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I would say in terms of practice, there, there, are, there are probably two different avenues to go down. One would be, and I, I would suggest one um, first, one practice is going to be more kind of setting aside space to set your mind and heart on God. That space is going to have to be silent, Hmm. right? You're going to have to have to. I'm out. I I can't do that. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's one of the, that's one of the big obstacles to contemplation is just like, like you mentioned visual noise, but auditory stuff too, man. Totally. You know, AirPods and like Spotify playlists and, and all. So got to get silent. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to find a place where you can actually kind of, let down all of the things that you're carrying, right? I mean, that's, that's the problem is, is it's not only that we don't have, have silence, silence and solitude is that we don't, we have so much of the other that even when we do have silence and solitude, we're just kind of trying to put off like cogitating and just spinning and that kind of stuff. And you're, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I was doing a book. I, I wrote a book called form for the glory of God, which is on Puritan spirit formation. And it's, it's, it focuses on Edwards, but Edwards is not all that distinct when it comes to this stuff. And I found a letter he wrote to one of his daughters saying, you know, get away from the kind of hectic chaos of this world. I'm like, you didn't have electricity. <laughs> what are you worried about? Like, what's this chaotic, this, and you just think for back then, Yeah. I mean, one of the Puritan practices was retreat. I mean, he would say frequently, get away, get away from what? I mean, it's just, you're yeah. in the woods, you're. And he, he's going to kind of, you know, tell her, examine your life, attention. So there's going to be these moments where you have to kind of do some of that. I mean, I think there's, there's a reality when, when we're practicing contemplation this way, I'm going to turn to another way in a second. Mm-hmm. When, we're, when we're doing it this way, it's not something we could just jump into. Like I got 15 minutes contemplation, you know, <laughs> like it's, we're going to have to examine our lives a little bit. We, we're going to want to sit and consider like, where has my heart gone? 
Mm-hmm. Like when I wake up in the morning, is is worry the first thing on my heart? When I when I respond to something, is anger coming out of my soul? Like like what has captivated me? What has driven me? And I'm just gonna have to sit with the Lord in some of those things first. Yeah. And and you know. One of the things, again, I'm as, as being an Edwards scholar, you know, I, I, I turn to the Puritans and Edwards a lot because I just found them really helpful in this. When I was writing that book, actually, one of the things that Edwards taught me that I really appreciated was the difference between meditation and contemplation for the Puritans. So they would start with meditation. So maybe it could be scripture, although they would also meditate on kind of doctrine, like, Lord, I am justified. Like, there's no condemnation for mm-hmm. those in Christ. Like, they would start there. And then when their mind wandered or when their heart raised something, they would wrestle with themselves a bit in light of that truth. Hmm. So if their heart, if you say, Lord, there's no condemnation and you feel your heart going, well, do we really think that's true? There's some, there's gotta be some, some condemnation, you know, like, you know, um, you know, if we, and we might be thinking about passages that really kind of ground us in Christ you know, Lord, I am forgiven in you. Yeah. I'm forgiven of everything. Like, and your heart kind of says, yeah, but is it everything really? Like we wrestle with that. Mm-hmm. But then contemplation is after we're wrestling with ourselves a bit, naming the truth, we then shift away and we focus our attention and our heart on God and who he is. And if our heart starts to do things, we, we grab those things, we reframe them a bit and say, no, this is not what we're doing right now. And we put them aside and we reattend to God. Hmm. And so notice in the difference for, for them on contemplation and meditation had a lot to do with what do you do with yourself in this? Hmm. One is being very, what, what, what Paul would call in Colossians 4, two watchful of your heart in prayer. And so in meditation, I'm being very watchful because I want to kind of grab what my heart's doing and wrestle with it a little bit. I want to speak the truth of it. I want to bring the truth to God. Now in contemplation, I, I'm just attending to God. If my heart wanders, I, I, I'm bringing it back and saying, no, God, you are my good. You are truly beautiful. Lord, you are my hope. Like You're constantly regrounding yourself in who God is, and you're setting your mind on things above. Well, there's no more obvious biblical command than set your mind on yeah. things above, and that's what you're doing. And so that would be one way to do it. I think if that becomes a rhythm of your life, and it doesn't have to be a daily rhythm by any stretch. It doesn't. Have, it, it it could be a good Sabbath rhythm. I mean, and there's a tr- there's a tradition about that. I mean, Ash Coxworth, um, in the chapter he wrote for us in this in, in our book, talks about Calvin and Calvin kind of understanding contemplation in light of Sabbath and those things that I think are very helpful. But then there's another sort of contemplation that I think builds out from that where now we begin contemplating God and it looks more like practicing the presence of God. Hmm. It's this day in and day out kind of engaging reality and just, just momentarily just seeing the reality of God over all that we're doing. Lord, you're here. Yeah. Lord, I, I'm not just, mm-hmm. I'm not just kind of anxiously toiling, trying to make something. Lord, this is your, like, you're here in this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm editing the rest of this day. I also I literally, after this, I'm going to sit at my desk and edit all day long. <laughs> my temptation is to just crank it down, <laughs> just get, get it done. And, and my editing would look no different than the editing of an atheist, other than the fact that I'm editing a book on prayer yep. and they're, they're editing a book on who knows what. I've got to stop and say, Lord, this is yours. Like, I, I'm, I'm doing this in your presence. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I think this will lead to that would surprise evangelicals is it would lead to a Christian reading of scripture. (laughs) 
Um, and that's that's what I think would be so genuinely shocking because there is no Christian reading of scripture that's not reading in the presence of God. Yeah. When we become rationalists, we are inherently deistic hmm. in our in our understanding of God. Hmm. We we think he's left us, but he left a book behind. And so we read in his absence rather than in his presence. Right. And, and I think what contemplation can do is it can allow us to do exactly what Paul says we should do in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, is in reading the word, the letter that kills and the spirit that gives life, that we read so that we know the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So Hartman, I'm sure you're catching this too. So many of the things that you're saying, Kyle, mm-hmm. um, contemplation is the engine on which our training at Gravity Leadership runs. We we train people on how to be everyday contemplatives who, who maybe can't go to a monastery. Like you said, this isn't some elite yeah. practice, but it, there's no, is there any other, how do you pray without ceasing without this? How do you do that? You know, totally. you know, how totally. do you not become a deist? So we say things all the time like God is always present and at work, and God is so mm-hmm. real, He most fully meets you right where you really are. And and what we find is that people we're practiced at distancing ourselves from reality, at mm-hmm. not even noticing where we are, what's going on. So I I'm, I picked this up, Hartman, and I know that we we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast. Even that practice of being aware sober-minded maybe and fully awake to throw out some Bible words, of aware of what's going on with me, mm-hmm. naming anxiety. You know, I, I, I was a 32-year-old man in a, in a counselor's office, uh, and the counselor was like, well, I got to write down something for your insurance uh, so the, the, you'll get billed right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say you have general anxiety disorder. And I remember thinking, that's stupid. <laughs> and, you know, the next 10 years was me unpacking and unwinding, na- being able to name these internal experiences that were fear and anxiousness that I just could never name before. You know? Yeah, and, totally. And I think contemplation yeah. then is like throwing yourself, <laughs> you're just throwing yourself in the ocean and learning how to reckon with that interior world that is foreign to many of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And that, that's why, again, I I have found... Um, in our own background, and this is, we don't have to go elsewhere to find a spirituality, like in our own background, the emphasis on watchfulness was such a major one that you have to watch your hearts. And that means you can't send your avatar to pray. Like you have to pray. You have to show up in prayer. Are you anxious? Well, be anxious in prayer. Yes, um, you, yes. You know what the image yeah, I have, particularly with prayer. So I'm John and I are actually writing a book on prayer, which is what I'm submitting tonight. So I'm, <laughs> this is what I'm editing the rest of the day. Awesome. But one of the images that came up for me when we're writing this is that if you imagine God hearing us in stereo, so in, in one ear, he's hearing the, the groanings of the spirit from the basest part of our souls. And the spirit groans because the spirit only intercedes for us in reality, never in our fantasy. Yes. So it's utterly real. And then he's hearing in the other ear, our prayers. And I just begin to wonder like, what do those sound like against the backdrop? Like, are they totally discordant? Is it like, God, you're good. Thank you so much. Everything's great. Like, and the spirit's just going, (laughs) it's groaning with this primal, just, Oh, this is so broken. And I, I, Again, for, for me, and this comes out of my chapter, you know, I, I want to ground everything on the work of the Son and the Spirit and our sharing in that work. And so when I think of the intercession of the Son and Spirit, you know, my contemplation is resting in that. Like I, 
the reason why I think the tradition turned to wordless prayer, which we, we've come to call contemplative prayer, is that we realized their words are in fact enough. And actually, when I come and be and really wordy in prayer, it, it probably has a little more to do with my attempt to manipulate God yeah. rather than actually being with him, to not truly be present. Yeah. Well, Kyle, um, thank you so much for writing this book, for the Spiritual Formation Institute, the work you and John are doing there, and the rest of your team. Um, how can people connect with you perhaps online? Are you on Twitter, those kinds of places? I'm on Twitter. Yeah. Just, um, at, at just, I'm just Kyle Strobel. I happen to get that one. So that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> in That's early. Twitter is probably the best way. <laughs> okay, great, man. And we'll put a link to the book in the show notes and uh, be on the lookout for this book on prayer too. Thanks so much. Hey, it was good being with you guys. Yeah. God bless your work today. Yeah, thanks, Peace. Scott. Thanks. Appreciate it. Peace to you guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com join you'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.